Um, so Habakkuk, we'll be studying chapter 1, verse 1, and the background and history of Habakkuk. Um, so Habakkuk was a, a contemporary of Jeremiah, um, and we know this based off of the references in Habakkuk to the Chaldeans and the Chaldeans destroying Judah. Um, this is in chapter 1, verse 6. It says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. So this is clearly preaching of the destruction that the Chaldeans are going to execute against Judah. Um, and to parallel this, uh, Jeremiah preaches the same in Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 26 to 30. Jeremiah 32, 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will take it. The Chaldeans who were fighting against this city will enter and set his city, this city on fire and burn it. With the houses where people have offered incense to Baal, on their roofs and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Indeed, the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing only evil in my sight from their youth. For the sons of Israel have been only provoking me to anger by the work of their hands, declares the Lord. From Jeremiah 32, we can gather and see that the same judgment that Jeremiah is predicting from the Chaldeans is the same that we read here in Habakkuk. So that brings the uh, prophets at about the same time frame of approximately 600 BC. And so at this time, we also have Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zephaniah um, as contemporaries to Habakkuk in their prophecy and also Many of them experienced the Judean exile by the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Um, and this is uh, further explaining this destruction uh, in the historical account in 2 Kings uh, chapter 24. 2 Kings chapter 24, verses 1 to 16. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Arameans, bands of Moabites, and bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. Surely at the from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood which he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, his son, became king in his place. The king of Egypt did not come out of this his land again. For the king of Babylon had taken all that had, all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. 
Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Neheshtah, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servant of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, went up to Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to the city while his servant was being besieged, were besieging it. Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants and his captains and his officials. So the king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. He carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, just as the Lord had said. Then he led away into exile all Jerusalem and all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. So he led Jehoiachin away into exile to Babylon, also the king's mother and the king's wives and all and his officials and the leading men of the land. He led away into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the smiths, 1,000, all strong and fit for war. And these the king of Babylon brought into exile to Babylon. So from this description, we not only are able to date Habakkuk, but we can, are also made more sure that the prophecy that he's preaching, it came about that the word of God always is fulfilled, and what he has preached here. Um, happened. Um, and then beyond what is written here in Habakkuk, we don't know any more of the prophet himself, other than that he was called at this time to preach this book um, to Judah, and outside of that there's no other um, mention of Habakkuk, of this prophet Habakkuk. So in, in Habakkuk there's um, a few uh, uh, famous verses or uh, cross-references to the New Testament. Um, so to overview these, we'll be looking at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, um, and it's referenced in Acts 13.41. So Habakkuk 1.5, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wondered, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. We turn over to Acts 13.41 and read how the Apostle uses this reference. Acts 13.41 Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Um, excuse me. Uh, verse 40 explains the context. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. So the, the apostle is using this prophet um, and citing him to quote a general truth uh, that is true in the Old Testament, that in there should be no um, 
disbelief, those that scoff at the coming judgment of God. Um, this was true in the physical sense of Israel and Judah, but also in the spiritual sense of the coming judgment um, on the day of Christ, that these scoffers, though it is described to them in great detail, we have um, the entire Bible to explain it to us, uh, they never believe it. They don't have any faith in this word that these things will come to pass. So here the um, apostle is using it as a as a reference or as another example of that this is a general truth of both life and scripture, and um, this is how he's using the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is still relevant, even though this event happened, um, the Chaldeans aren't coming to us today to destroy us uh, for the wickedness of the nation we live in today, but this general truth will always be true um, for all generations. So back to Habakkuk. Um, the second verse that is cross-referenced in the New Testament is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk 2, 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. So this is cross-referenced in Romans chapter 1. Uh, specifically verse 17, but we'll read um, 1 to 17 for the context of how the how Paul is using this uh, quote to defend his position. Romans 1, 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so for my part I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So there in the final uh, verse, verse 17, the second half of it, um, Paul says, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. This is the quote from Habakkuk 2.4. The context is important because he's using it as support of preaching the gospel, the gospel of Christ, to both Jew and Gentile. That's his point. So he understands and helps us draw this conclusion that when Habakkuk writes this verse, that this is what he is speaking of. He's speaking of faith in Christ, not faith in anything else um, for the people to believe in, but that the righteous man has faith in Christ, both Jew and Greek, um, and that, that this is what he was preaching in the Old Testament. So this is what um, this reference does in our interpretation and helps us understand what Habakkuk means in this context. Um, so also what these cross-references do both in Acts and in Romans is that it gives credibility to the inspiration of the book of Habakkuk. So we know that even though it may be a small book or obscure to some, that the prophets were familiar with it, or excuse me, the apostles were familiar with it, and that they used it um, as evidence to preach both Christ and um, just general truths of Scripture, and that this will this is what is able to give Habakkuk um, the the uh, credibility of inspiration in the canon. There should be no doubt about anything like that. Um, so from two apostles, both Paul and Luke. Um, and then back in Habakkuk, the final verse, this is more of a um, famous verse or a verse that is common, maybe commonly quoted, uh, is Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. This verse, um, or some summary of it, would have been used for the general mindset of the believer that in the hardships, no matter what God brings upon us, that we are to have faith in God and never curse Him or um, speak against Him, even if our physical uh, well-being is being uh, in question, such as it was here in Habakkuk and in many other uh, faithful people and righteous men throughout history. Uh, one cross-reference we have for this is Job, Job chapter 1. <clears throat> Job chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. He speaks the same way that Habakkuk does. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. So here also in this example from Job, we have further confirmation that this mindset of the believer being content in whatever physical um, ailments were being uh, handed or dealt by God, that we should never um, curse God or take the name of the Lord in vain, nothing of that sort, and that Job did not sin in, in this. Um, so this is our, should be our mindset, and that's uh, why this uh, verse in Habakkuk um, might have been popular uh, with uh, in evangelical circles to uh, speak this way and to have that mindset. Um, probably not in uh, health and wealth circles, but in in uh, those who know more of righteousness and uh, uh, the trials that God hands to us, that this is the mindset we should have. So that, that is the background and the history and some overview of the um, uh, more highlighted verses of Habakkuk. Um, so we'll start with uh, verse 1. Habakkuk 1.1. 1, 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. So we've studied Habakkuk. The other main point to pull from verse 1 is the word oracle. Uh, the cross-reference cross reference in your Bible will likely give you a translation for the word burden. Oracle meaning burden. Um, this word, the same Hebrew word, uh, is mentioned 25 times in the Old Testament. And that in this specific context of each of those words, all but three time, or three of those occurrences, it is speaking of a judgment or a negative prophecy on the people. So there, there are many, there are several different ways of which the word or these prophecies could be a burden to um, people, both the righteous in a sense and in, to the unrighteous um, in every sense. Um, some other examples we have of the uh, word oracle being used. Uh, Isaiah uses it in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 1. Isaiah 13, 1. The oracle or burden concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. And um, as we know, uh, Isaiah has many prophecies against a lot of the uh, Gentilic uh, nations um, preaching of their judgment that will eventually come. Um, another reference of Oracle is in Nahum chapter 1 verse 1 right next to the back of so Nahum chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 the oracle of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. So again, this oracle or burden being preached 
with a waiting message for the here. And fi finally, we have another one in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 1. Zechariah 9, 1. The burden of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach with Damascus as its resting place. For the eyes of men, especially of all the tribes of Israel, are towards the Lord. So here it, it says against the land of Hadrach. So this oracle or burden, again, is a weighty message, uh, prophecy of judgment, typically um, against whoever the message is for. So that's in one sense um, that the oracle could be a burden. Um, however, that this, this oracle and burden, which would be heavy on the unbeliever, would also be a refinement for the believer. Um, we, we already looked at this in Habakkuk 3, um, 17 and 18, what we read and studied uh, also in Job, in that in these afflictions and in these fires, um, in these burdens from the Lord, that we are refined um, if we have the believer's mindset. Some additional scriptures for this would be Psalm chapter 66, or I guess it's Psalm 66, uh, verse 8 to 15. Psalm 66, verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows with my lip, which my lips uttered, and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. So here we have from David both the refinement in verse 10 and then also in verse 12 the men are riding over their heads and they've gone through fire and they went through water he even calls the, what the Lord had brought upon them you laid an oppressive burden upon our loin so they this is this burden but it's also a refinement and with the proper mindset that God gives to us we know that these things will are good for us and will sanctify us um, as we grow in our faith. Another example of this is Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah 48 verses 9 to 11.
For the sake of my name I delay my wrath, and for my praise I restrain it for you, in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. So, especially in verse 10, he's speaking of this refinement. And how does the refinement come about? The furnace of affliction. So the burden or uh, even any kind of judgment um, on earth uh, that we may experience uh, either corporately, um, in this case for Judah, that it's, it is so that we can grow in righteousness and further um, sanctify ourselves growing in uh, our Christ-like behavior and mindset. So that's the uh, a second way in which this word can be a burden, um, but it, it pr- produces fruit in righteousness and the belief. Another way in which the an oracle or the the word can be a burden uh, is to the preacher having to deliver a weighty message to the people, knowing that the things that will be preached um, will likely bring a persecution upon the messenger. Um, not that that is any excuse for the messenger, but the messenger understands that this is true and that these things will happen. Um, evidences for this, we'll start in Jeremiah chapter 20. Verses 8 and 9. Jeremiah 20, verse 8. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say, I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. Here in in Jeremiah's case, he talks about when he has this word of the Lord, he's preaching violence and destruction which the people obviously will hate. And he knows, but he knows he must give this message. If he can't, he cannot endure it. He cannot hold this word in. So it's a burden knowing that this is uh, derision all day long um, is what is going to be the result of preaching this message to the people. But he must do it anyway. Um, uh, another example is Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Then he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set, on, set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Then he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. 
I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though this though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Neither fear their words, nor be dismayed at their present presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. So, God even tells Ezekiel that they likely will not listen, whether they listen or not. This word you must preach to them, and that uh, this is, you're preaching it to a rebellious house. So already Ezekiel knows that this, uh, the words, this uh, message of judgment that he has for the people, or even a message of salvation, it will be met from with rebellion. And this is um, the burden that the messenger has to bear when delivering the message. Um, but this is not only in the Old Testament. We have New Testament examples of this as well. In Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 27. Acts 20, 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I sent about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Though many times uh, Paul talks about shrinking back, um, he says it in uh, verse 27 and also in verse 20 and alludes to um, having or speaking of shrinking back means that there must be something over to overcome in preaching the whole gospel um, that would be burdensome to the messenger that he needs to overcome knowing that these 
afflictions. He's going to be thrown in prison. Um, the as he says. Uh, In verse 23, the bonds and afflictions await me. In verse 22, not knowing what will happen to me there. Um, these are all uh, things that are unknown and that could cause Paul to shrink back because he knows that the message that he's preaching will be um, met with disdain and rebellion. Um, so in this sense, it's a burden for him to deliver this. But you'll see this is in the New Testament. What is he preaching? Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we studied already, that this is the message that Habakkuk is preaching, that it, this um, rebellion that we studied in the Old Testament when preaching the truth is the same in the New Testament, being met with these afflictions, and that in this there's a burden that we must overcome knowing that to in this life and in this flesh we will suffer because of these things preaching this way um, and then finally there's another New Testament example in Philippians chapter 3 Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. So here in verse 18, He's speaking of weeping, weeping from preaching the word of God to an unbelieving people. Um, we know as believers that when someone rejects the word, rejects what God is saying, that this he's weeping because he understands that they're in this destruction. He knows what's going to happen to them. And that's another way in the sense that this the prophecies of judgment may be burdensome to the messenger understanding that if people are rejecting it that these things this is the doom of their soul ultimately um, for destruction and that we should be mourning these souls in the appropriate way knowing that they had not been predestined to believe these things um, and to weep and mourn in a godly way uh, and that might be uh, way heavy on us when we deliver the message and then that, that is the third way of which an oracle or the word of God may be a burden the fourth way is that the righteousness of God will always be a burden to those who are in sin and those who are unbelievers um, we find a reference for this in Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. So this day that the wicked have been made for, this day of evil, is the day of Christ. It's the second coming of Christ. Right? We understand that for the righteous this is salvation, but for the wicked it is a day of evil in the sense that they will be destroyed and oppressed under the feet of Christ. And so for the unbelievers, any any word of God it will be a burden to them. Knowing that it may be righteous to some, like we talked about, will bring refinement to those who are in Christ and judgment to those who are not. And finally, another um, reference for this will be Isaiah chapter 30. Verses 9 to 12. Isaiah 39. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions, get out of the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Excuse me, we'll stop at verse 11. So, here they're pleading to, to not hear any more about God, because the Word is such a burden to them, it confronts their sin, and it, it keeps them from doing the things that they please to do, uh, to please themselves, and not God, and that they, it's too much to bear. They can't even carry, or care to hear, they can't even take it anymore. They want lies spoken to them. So this is the background, a short overview, and then also verse one to prepare ourselves for Habakkuk, um, understanding more of the context of what this message is about. Um, and how it's uh, cross-referenced in the New Testament, understanding that Habakkuk is inspired, that he preaches Christ, and that um, we should know these, or understand this as we read every single verse um, for the rest of our study. Amen.